0: You are listening to killer this is case number 30 cletus reese lock your doors bolt your
1: windows and turn off the lights we're about The decrepit farmhouse on the 200-acre plot was home to Cletus Reese, a native son of central Ohio. Stout as a bank safe, Reese was reputed to have Herculean strength. They say he would pull cattle by wrestling the critters to the ground, then sawing off their horns as they squirmed beneath his mass. A huge, powerful man, neighbors declared that he could carry a good-sized hog under each arm, said the Kashaktan Tribune. The strong man was also known for living on the outer limits of sanity.
0: Born in 1918, Reese was a lifelong bachelor who kept few friends. While in his 20s, he made up for the deficit by engaging in elaborate conversations with imaginary pals. Reese was often seen stalking along country roads after midnight, talking aloud to nobody, trailed by his devoted but confused hound. His kin fretted as these strange soliloquies became one-man squabbles. Reese had a temper, and they worried that the big fellow might hurt himself or someone else.
1: In 1951, his older sisters made the difficult decision to have him committed to a state mental hospital, where he was diagnosed as schizophrenic. But after just four months locked up 50 miles from home in Cambridge, Ohio, Reese was released to the care of his sister Ethel on a provisional basis. Ohio Shrinks reassessed his condition every six months for several years. Each time, Ethel Reese helped convince them that her brother's mind was healing, and his, quote, trial visit, unquote, Home was continued.
0: In truth, Cletus Reese was not getting better. He was getting worse. In 1954, something possessed Reese to shop for a new car, even though he couldn't afford one. On June 12th, he arranged for a salesman from a local dealership to bring a new Hudson sedan out to his farm for a test drive. The salesman, Clyde Patton, aged twenty-eight, had moved to Ohio from West Virginia a year before to take a job teaching at a local high school. His salary couldn't support a wife and four kids, so he moonlighted selling cars. Ethel
1: Reese watched ruefully as her brother and Patton motored off that day. When Cletus returned, Patton was no longer riding shotgun. Reese couldn't explain what had become of the salesman, so Ethel called the sheriff. The next day, deputies traipsing along the Reese farm stumbled on a lump just below the surface of a plowed furrow. It was a body, but not Clyde Patton's.
0: The dead man was Lester Mellick. 58. Missing since the previous Thanksgiving, when he was last seen drinking in a saloon with Cletus Reese, Melick's skull had been bashed lopsided with a club. Sheriff Gilbert Kempf had a sit down with Reese, who admitted, This has been going on for a long time. The body of Clyde Patton was found buried not far from Melick's. A third corpse, badly decomposed, also revealed itself. This proved to be the remains of Paul Tish, age 39, who had been locked up in the Cambridge Looney Bend with Reese.
1: Tish escaped the place on December 8, 1952, and was never seen again. Like Mellick, Patton and Tish had died of crushing blows to the head. Reese was frog-marched into the field for an up-close viewing of his handiwork, but if authorities were hoping for an emotional reaction, they didn't get it. Quote, he just stood by the grave and stared. A local scribe wrote. As rumors of heaped bodies swirled around the county, dozens of local men rushed to Murder Ridge to poke around. Reese calmed the frenzy by telling Sheriff Kempf, You won't find any more. Three is all.
0: Alternating between tears and fury, he eventually gave a confession that challenged reality. He said, for example, that he had been directed to murder by Bess Truman, Harry Truman's wife. Of Tish's demise, he said, we had a difference over theology," "end quote. And of the car salesman he said," quote, "we had a fight and I beat him up." End quote. The accused serial killer, looking like a feral beast, was posed bare-chested in jail for photographers. He was charged with first-degree murder,
1: but it was obvious that Reese should have never been released from the state hospital. One evaluation of his bent mind said Reese Quote, had a tendency to be violent at times and at intervals he believed he was an FBI agent or police officer, quote. Whether he goes to prison, a mental institution, or to the electric chair, read the Coshocton paper, Cletus Reese must be put away, where he can never again perpetrate such acts on society. Other than that, it matters little what happens to this wretched, deranged man.
0: Prosecutors sent Reese to the state asylum for the criminally insane, and in Lima for a 30-day evaluation. He never got out. He died of a heart attack 11 years later at age 48 on May fifteenth, 1966. That was a very quick case. Um, There's not a lot of information out there on Cletus Reese. I searched around, and what really turned me on to this case was the Reese family farm, which was described earlier as being a 200-acre farm in uh, Coshocton County, actually borders a property that my mom's family owns in, in that same area. And they were actually neighbors back in this time. Holy cow. It, it's always been something in the back of my mind that's something, even as a young child, I remember as young as maybe six or seven years of age, my mom would share stories about this, this farm or this house because there was, when you look online, you'll find some old black and white newspaper clippings of you know, the farmhouse and investigators during that day and time going around the farm, you know, obviously looking for stuff buried in the ground. And I, as a child, at the, even at that young age, I remember that farmhouse before. I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it fell down or burned down or was torn down, but I remember that, that house from as a child when we would visit my grandparents on the weekends.
1: Yeah, that's really, really crazy. And I know what you mean. Like, there are sometimes these local cases that just have a tie in to to you, you know, just or like local lore, you know, in your area and it's just one of those things that you just always gravitate to and I was um doing some research and just taking a look at, you know, some of the stuff that you were looking through as well and there's a picture of him and he does look like a big burly dude especially for that time. You know, he's not as big as some dudes are today. But, man, back then, this guy was farm strong. You can tell. Like, he would knock your ass out with one punch. Like, he's he's a big dude.
0: Right. And he also, it did, the picture that they took for the newspaper or their mug shot or whatever they did in the picture that you're looking at, they didn't do him any favors because he, he does look like he's out of his mind in that picture, too. If you, <laughs> it, It's not a really good picture, but you can examine his face enough to see that he looks like he's a little bit off.
1: Journalism, man. Back then. It was fake news. <laughs> we were actually just chatting about that the other day how news doesn't seem to be newsy anymore. It's more clickbaity type stuff in a lot of cases and it's it can be frustrating, but I mean honestly, I think most of the problem is the uh the curtain has been pulled back a little bit on some of the tactics and things that have gone on in journalism for decades. And people are just now getting wise to that. And it goes on on every side of the aisle, no matter which side you're on. So this isn't a political rant on a certain group of people. This is more of a narrative on the whole, because I find it in all cases, not just any single one case of the news. Back to to Cletus and Murder Ridge. I'm looking at these photos here, and it's so odd because, I mean, they're so grainy and black and white from the time. And... You know, there's a photo of people lifting bodies out of a hole in the ground and it just uh it reminds me of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like that's the vibe you get when you start looking through these photos.
0: And that's actually the vibe that I had as I got a little bit older and watched those those scary movies was I always would think back to this place and you know, it was some of the stories my mom told me about the place was pretty crazy and not that she's a bad mom or anything and just telling scary stories to her her young children, (laughs) but actually she had said that when she was a younger child, a lot of this stuff happened in the um, late fifties, early sixties. And she would have been a child of the same age or roughly the same age at that time when she was telling me the story. And she said there was actually one time where my grandfather actually had to, you know, run him away from their property because there was a dirt road between the two properties and, you know, stories that were recounted by witnesses of Cletus where he would walk the roads and talk to himself in the middle of the night. I almost 99% can confirm that that happened because my grandfather had to run him away. At that time, my mom, she would have been the fourth of nine children. And at that time in the early to late sixties, there might've still been seven of the children that still lived at home because it you know, if you're going to have nine kids, you need to do it year after year. So (laughs) you're busy for a while, but there were a lot of young children at the house. And my grandfather, he was a dirt poor West Virginia coal miner where they had moved up here to Ohio to start over. And he was very protective of his family. You know, that was his most prized possession at that time. So he wasn't afraid to grab the shotgun and run people out of the neighborhood, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and it seems like Murder Ridge, it's one of those places that has a nickname, you know, and and so it has a little bit of that mystique. If you just search the name and you start looking around uh, for Murder Ridge, there's a website out here, OhioExploration.com, and on it, they have, you know, it's kind of like one of those like haunted location, you know, for your local area kind of thing where it's like, hey, check out these haunted places. But what they say about Murder Ridge, which is kind of interesting, is it's now a stripped ravine that was extensively mined. The ridge was once a home to a few families. One was the Reese family. According to local legend, the Reese's only son Cletus would kill travelers along Route 26 whose vehicles would break down. He used his tow truck to bring their cars back to his garage where he would kill the travelers. Cletus would store their bodies in the farmhouse and would later eat their remains. He would disassemble the victims' cars and sell them for parts. Cletus was caught once. He began selling whole cars. He admitted to three murders and was sentenced to life at Lima State Hospital. Documentation shows that he never had eaten his victim's remains, and his victims are said to haunt the ridge where the remains were discovered in shallow graves. So that was uh, a little interesting piece there where they suggest uh, cannibalism. I don't know why all, all serial killers are <laughs> rumored to be cannibals, it seems like, in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, maybe this guy was eating people. That's why he was so big, getting all that extra, all that extra protein. But yeah, that some of that's a lot of fiction injected into that story. You know, they they claim that he was eating people, but then, you know, they they came back and say no, that's not true. But one correction to that story, and I don't know how long ago that was posted. It's actually Route Thirty Six in Coshocton County. That's like the main the main artery between all those small towns and in the city of Coshocton. So not to get too, too overly nerdy there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those uh, weirdo haunted websites. So who knows how factual some of that stuff is. It's definitely interesting. Just reading some of that stuff, that local legends, you know, how those stories spin up and then turn into something really strange. Yeah.
0: It's, it's one of those things that, especially around Halloween time, it, I think there's some accounts of, you know, local teenagers always, you know, go up to that area because it's so spooky and all the stories that were told in the past. And I, it seems like every Ohio County has one of those stories. The county where I was you know, born and raised, there was a, a fictional place known as Panther's Hollow, where if you go on a certain night, I think it's like during a full moon, you can see red eyes in the, in the woods or in the, you know, heavily wooded areas and spooky places. I live very close to, um, where Shawshank Redemption was filmed at the, at the Richland County Reformatory. The old reformatory is still there and they host, uh, ghost hunting trips and overnight stays. So there's lots of that stuff in Ohio.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's extremely, it's just fascinating how these stories just turn into something and get a life of their own, just based off of like things, especially from back then where like, You know, it was all word of mouth. And we were just talking about journalism. You know, no matter how factual those stories were, people would twist them and then just spread them. And then by the time, you know, that game of telephone, if you will, you know, you tell one person something, then the story adjusts and twists. And by the time it gets to the hundredth person, it's not even the same story anymore. It's scary to think, though, that someone like that out in the country exists. I mean, it is very Texas chainsaw, where, you know, they even basically the rumor of that story that I read is basically like, some of the plot to some of those kind of movies where, oh, these cars break down. No, let me me bring you to my place. So, like, House of Wax, where it was like that. They bring you in and do horrible things to you.
0: I've not watched House of Wax.
1: Yeah, there was a reboot not too long ago. It was okay. It's not great. But in House of Wax, essentially, they, like, basically take people and torture them, and then while they're still alive, they turn them into, like, real-life wax people. Like, wax, you know, museum statue kind of thing sorry i'm like not coming up with the right words but like statues made out of wax and in that case they would like take travelers they had like a garage and they would like put you up in their house and then suddenly you're in deep shit and then they try and like uh skin you alive and make you into a wax statue and then they had like a whole wax museum of all these bodies very bizarre movie
0: (laughs) yeah i like the ones that are really bizarre though i might have to definitely check that out but before we get too far away from this case, there was one other interesting point that I wanted to to mention on the Cletus Reese case was in nineteen forty five. I believe he was of been twenty seven, twenty eight at the time. He was actually elected as a peace officer of a small community in that area. So I don't know that he had starting losing his mind until you know later on or. He was just elected as a peace officer due to his sheer size, and people were scared of him. I found that kind of interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is pretty interesting. I mean, I wonder if when he was not in a bad state mentally, if he was like a just like good, fun-loving dude that people liked, and he was just like that, like one of those big grizzly men that are really nice. But then he just had a switch and would snap.
0: Yeah. Well, right at the end there, you part of the story that you read, he. Believed he was an FBI agent or police officers at times when he wasn't violent. So maybe he had aspired to be in law enforcement at one time. But you know, either being heavily schizophrenic or it sounds like bipolar, he would have these very vicious, violent swings. You know, that was never a reality. But when he was in his right state of mind and thinking clearly, maybe that's something he aspired to do. It, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. And then I just want to know
1: what these guys did to him to piss him off. Because he bludgeoned them, so they had to have done something.
0: The one uh, victim, it mentioned that he had bashed his skull lopsided with a club, so they must have really, really pissed him off, (laughs) because you're going to have to wail on somebody to cave their skull in that hard.
1: Yeah, and in another case, I saw that it looked like he had like a three-inch thick branch that he bludgeoned someone with, and that might have been that salesman. I just thought that was a little interesting that he would uh, just bludgeon these people. Like, I don't know what they would have done to deserve that because typically those are like crimes of passion.
0: Right. It sounded like this guy, though. I mean, it didn't take much to set him off. Maybe the car salesman wouldn't budge on the price or maybe he was trying to talk him into uh, under the table payment things. It said that he obviously couldn't afford a new car. so Yeah,
1: exactly. Or Maybe his whole plan with that one in particular was just to kill him and take the car because he knew he couldn't afford one and he never actually he just at that point was like screw it i'll just kill you and take it
0: yeah definitely interesting all right
1: well that's wrap for this week's case we will see you guys next time stay safe To the Killer Podcast, quarantine edition post-show. So, I see a note in here, in our show notes, you have quarantine lifting. What does this mean? I'm now intrigued.
0: Well, like Ohio, like several other states, we're starting to lift their quarantine ban on social gatherings. There's still a lot of limitations on what you can do. It seems like Ohio started out strong with this the whole COVID-19 response and quarantine and steps taken to try to protect everyone. But I don't know if the governor now is under a ton of pressure. Well, he obviously is under a ton of pressure to open the state back up because of, you know, the economy is really taking a hit. People are out of jobs. People are just tired of being at home. He's having to balance safety between people's wants or needs too, I think.
1: Yeah, there's... um. Well, first, I want to say when I saw your note in here that says quarantine lifting, I thought you were going to tell me you've been lifting weights, not quarantine band lift <laughs> <laughs> no but uh but no um uh, i I was watching the news last night as I fell asleep, the local news here in Ohio, and it looks like we're at uh sixteen percent unemployment right now, which is huge, and we definitely need to get back to to moving things around and i the thing I'm having a problem with is. And you guys, I mean, correct us if we're wrong, but I find it awfully coincidental that from a federal government level, that the CDC seems to change their stance on the virus, depending on the motivations of the administration. Meaning this, when it first started, it was no big deal. Don't worry about it. Then they wanted us to stay home. Suddenly you could, you could, uh, contract the virus off of surfaces and there was a big thing like it lives on cardboard boxes it lives on stainless steel for so long wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands and then suddenly they want us back out into the open again to reopen the economy and the cdc now says you cannot contract this virus from surface and touching things well which is it because it always conveniently fits in your narrative for whatever you're trying to get people to do And that's what I really cannot stand. Like, that's the kind of misinformation that I think is very, very irresponsible. Because you could say, well, it's the CDC, you know, they're learning new things. Sure, but it always seems to coincide with some agenda. And I just don't trust them, to be completely honest with you. And I'm not one of those, like, government conspiracy theorist kind of people. Each administration, any party, they're going to do what they're going to do. And that's fine. But when you have a health and safety organization like the CDC, there should be no bureaucracy in it. It, the, the information should be factual. It should be straight and to the point. So I don't know what to believe. Can I pick this up from a surface? Can I not pick it up from a surface? Why are you telling me I can and you want me to stay home and then I can't. And now I can go out. It just makes no sense. Like the, the information is just so all over the place.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I, I don't know. I may buy into the conspiracy theory side of things a little bit more than some people or for even you, especially, I, I don't know. I just, I think the virus has been around longer than we know. I mean, it's already been communicated to us that it was in the U.S., and we know that some of the early cases, I think that they've done some antibody testing on individuals that have had it, and they can actually pinpoint the time when they were infected based on those tests, and it goes back all the way to January.
1: I've heard November. In in the United States, in November, people have had it.
0: And the interesting thing... And I'm not saying that I've had COVID-19, but I was very, very ill the end of January, early February. Like so much that even at that time, I was pretty much working from home full time. I, I literally was bedridden for maybe two, three days, like not getting out of bed other than to go to the, you know, take care of restroom visit or get something to drink. My wife is, she was actually bringing me, You know, stuff to drink and a little bit of food here and there. It was crazy. And I went to the emergency room, and at that time, they tested me and said, Well, you have flu type A. I'm like, Okay, that explains it. But I've had the flu before, and I've never felt that terrible ever. So now that they're doing this antibody testing, I'm actually going to go and have one done. I think you can have it done. They're doing it very cheap because I think they're wanting to try to get an accurate count of how many people have actually been infected. So I'm going to do it and see if I actually had it back in January.
1: I think a lot of people share that story that you share. I also had a really bizarre illness in February where I've never been that sick. And it wasn't flu sick, though. That's what was weird for me. Like I had body aches, but it wasn't like I've had the flu and it's knocked me on my ass where you just you can't get out of bed. You can't really eat or drink much. This was like a lingering illness. It wouldn't go away, and what was really bizarre is i it coincided with a neck injury I had where I was warming up to work out one morning, and I was doing an overhead press of my shoulders and i I just lifted up and when I lifted up, I felt a twinge in my neck. it just like it just grabbed in my trap, and I felt it and i and it hurt like hell and so then I was taking it easy and i and I stopped working out and then I got sick not not too long after that like just a couple of days later following that when i was sleeping i couldn't lift my head off my pillow it felt like it weighed 800 pounds my body just ached then i suddenly got this chest thing and a cough that wouldn't go away and it was just like and it was really bizarre cuz like i felt like not myself at all and i felt like i was like living in a shell of my body and i couldn't do things i couldn't do any i didn't want to do anything and i was so tired all the time and I work from home too. So I literally just sit on my ass all day. There's no reason, you know, that I should be as tired as I was even being sick. And it was just like something that I just couldn't shake. And it lasted weeks and weeks to the point where I went to the doctor for it. I don't go to the doctor for anything. I I don't, I just don't think I need to, you know, I, I'm I, typically, I just let sicknesses run their course. I, I barely even take medicine for them because it's usually pointless anyway. And, uh, I usually just try and eat healthier or take some vitamins and supplements to help, but I don't really take like uh traditional medicine and things like that because typically it's just symptom masking and doesn't really do you any good. And uh yeah, just I could never shake it. And so I always wondered after starting hearing some of these things, I met like probably seventy five percent of the symptoms of the virus, but knowing that a lot of people it seems to impact them differently, it's not all consistent, I too would want to know if I had it. My wife also had something very similar and so did my mom. So it's just very bizarre. I I don't know. It could have been just a, a totally different virus, which I it probably was, but I would still like to know.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm actually going to my father-in-law and myself, I think we're both going to go and find out and have that test done. So, I I think at the lab core location or wherever they do local lab work, you can get it done for like $10 and they'll give you the results and tell you if you actually had it or not. Yeah, I would like to do that. Going back to the conspiracy theory side of things, you know, one side of the aisle wants to inflate the numbers, one side wants to downplay the numbers. So is the antibody test accurate? You start thinking that too.
1: Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you fall on. Each side has its own agenda. And don't kid yourself. They're both in it for certain reasons. So, like, for instance, the anti-Trump supporters are really all about keeping you home, making the economy look bad just so they can get the bad man out of office. You know, like that's like their whole goal. And on the flip side, the Trump supporters and Trump himself want to get you back to work and get the economy going regardless of how safe it is because if the economy is bad, it usually doesn't bode well for the incumbent president. So they both have agendas and they're both competing. And ultimately you have to ask yourself, do you feel safe? How do you feel about it? You know We should be demanding more out of our government than that, and that is across both parties because it's just absolutely ridiculous the amount of misinformation that's coming out about this thing.
0: You're absolutely right. So the times that you have had to go out in public, have you worn a mask? Because I still see a ton of people that don't wear a mask.
1: I do. I do. And I'll tell you why. Uh, My wife is pregnant. So I'm taking every precaution I can to make sure that I don't contract this virus and bring it home to my family right now. That's number one. Uh, I have a baby on the way, and I don't want my pregnant wife getting COVID-19 as she's getting ready to deliver a baby. That's the most important thing to me. Then I'm going to have a newborn. So if a mask helps or not, I don't give a shit. Do you look like an idiot with it on? Probably. I don't care. It, that's not important to me. What's important to me is that my family stays healthy as much as possible. So we don't do any unnecessary public, you know, visits out doing things, right? And we don't really co mingle with people. And really, the sad reality of this is that my family's not going to get to hold my newborn baby when she comes. So, you know, it's just, it's sad because she's only going to be a newborn for so long, right? And then she's not. And, I just don't know enough about what's going on to feel comfortable letting my family handle her. Um they're all around. They go out in the public and do whatever they want to do, but I don't know that you don't have this virus and I don't really want to give it to an infant. And there's conflicting reports on how young children and infants handle this disease again, more misinformation or maybe just not enough information in that case. But it's just one of those things, you know, I just don't I, I I'm one who just tries to stay on the extreme side of caution.
0: Right. Rightfully so. For sure. What
1: about you? Are you wearing one in public?
0: I have a couple times, but you know, honestly, if I had to count the last, you know, 10 times I went out in public to do anything, I've probably only worn a mask twice. I don't know if you want to say it's irresponsible of me, but everyone else around me, I I see them not wearing a mask and then I start thinking, well, I, I think this, a lot of this is just all bullshit. I don't, believe in my heart that it's bullshit. I know there's lots of people out there that are infected and lots of people have lost their lives and no disrespect to them. But you remember back in the early stages of this thing, the media had conflated things so badly that it sounded like we were going to start seeing nightly news reports of like bodies stacked on top of bodies in the street. Just people almost like a walking dead type scenario. Well, and in, in there was that big fight over, um,
1: hospital capacity and stuff like that and resources. Now, I do believe we were short on PPE because nobody was prepared for the pandemic. I do believe the federal government botched the response to getting things done for state governments to be prepared. However, the federal government was right, uh, meaning the Trump administration, about how overblown like New York State was trying to make things because they didn't even end up filling all of their beds to, capa- to capacity. They, know, I don't believe that they ever used that um, hospital boat that they had from the navy and some things like that but on the flip side of this like how much did the social distancing and lockdowns help you know with these numbers that make people now go see it it, it was no big deal it was nothing but really it was because we all stayed inside for you know a month <laughs> like right you, you don't know and that's the problem with the social distancing and that's what people were saying up front they're like here's the problem we're all going to stay home. It's going to be effective. And then people are going to be like, why did we do that? We overreacted. And it's like, well, but if you didn't do that and you did, and you didn't stay home, then the numbers are way higher. So it's very hard to tell, you know, did it work or not? I would say most likely since we never got to the catastrophic levels. However, were the
0: catastrophic levels and estimates super high to begin with? Probably. It could have been much, much worse. And one last thing I wanted to mention on the way the governor of Ohio has handled things, like I said, I think he came out of the gate strong, but now it, he's kind of wishy-washy on everything. You know, you can, you can go to restaurants and bars, but you still have to administer your social distancing. You know, stay at your table. If you have a drink in your hand, you're not allowed to stand up. Oh, and by the way, we took hundreds of millions of dollars from public education because the economy in Ohio itself has tanked, and take stuff away from Medicare. And then turn around and hire this. I'm quoting him. they are marshaled a bunch of people into like pseudo-type law enforcement positions, to where they can they can just mosey into a restaurant, and if somebody's not doing what they're told, they can rat them out to like the local health board or the local government. And they're paying these people to be professional snitches. It's it's not these
1: businesses' responsibility to make sure that your customers stay six feet apart. It's just not. It's not. It's not at all. Uh, I listen to a local radio show all the time. And my favorite quote from that is when they talk about this subject is, and we're in agreement on is, it's not their job to keep people so far apart from each other. But the one thing they always say, which always makes me laugh as a joke is they always say, leave room for Jesus, leave room for Jesus. Like when you'd go to the seventh grade dance in the Catholic school and they'd always come in and tell you, leave room for Jesus, don't get too close to each other at the dance. <laughs> that just always makes me laugh. But uh, yeah, it's it's not local business's responsibility to make sure that you're not a dipshit for something that's not even really illegal to begin with. Like there's, not, there's nothing that's illegal about getting next to a person. And I would argue if you're already going to this place, you don't give a fuck about being close to people 'Cause you just don't care. You're just gonna go out anyway. You can go about your day. You're you're one of the people who just doesn't give two shits about if you about coronavirus. You're like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go have a good time and live my best life, you know? Right. So whatever. If these people wanna go hang out together and free will, man. Free will. Like the government is not responsible and the businesses are not responsible for making sure that you do those things. Now, on the flip side, if I'm out in public at like a grocery store and you wanna start getting too close to me, I need to go to the grocery store. I need to get food. If you want to start encroaching in my space and I get a little pissy about it, I think you have a little bit of an argument there. But if you're going to the bars and restaurants that are not, they were we were told they were not essential at the time, you have no like stand on. If these people want to get close together, whatever, you can't shame bar owners and stuff. You can't have people coming in and tattling on you and reporting you. These people fucking just lost two months of income because the state wanted to shut you down. Like you, you cannot just go around and be a dick about it now. It's, just, it's not fair.
0: Yep, I think it's. Overstepping bounds, for sure. Well, yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I mean, and again, and I don't mean to get a little bit political here, but both sides of the aisle, they just... Uh, it's so hi- hypocritical because the Republican side usually says smaller government, smaller government. Well, no, now let's just add more people so that we can go in and enforce these tattletale rules. <laughs> like, it's just, where's this? where's this hypocrisy end? Like, it just, it's always... They don't have their best, your best interest in mind. Just remember that. No, no party does. So quit being tribalistic. It's just stupid. It's a waste of your fucking time. It really is.
0: Yeah, take care of yourself and go about yeah, your business. Yeah, and your family
1: and, and hang out with your neighbors and enjoy them instead of being worried about what fucking side of the aisle you're on. I mean, quit dividing each other. It's just you're playing right into their hand, you know, every time. Playing right into the hand. The more they can divide you and force you apart, and and the more hyper-partisan they can make you, the better it is for them. It's all about power grabbing money. It's always been, and it always will be. And they don't give two shits about us. So why are you spending so much time letting politics
0: get people pissy? Yeah, take it way too serious and let it affect your temper. That's for sure. Hey, there is one, before we jump off here, there is one candidate for president that I think... Brings a little bit of peace and joy to the world. I don't think he gets enough credit, and that's Vermin Supreme. You have to uh, (laughs) Google this man if you've never heard of him. He wants to give everybody free dental health care, free toothbrushes, and he thinks everyone should own a pony. So think about how much better life would be if you had superb oral hygiene and everyone owned a pony. I'm out on that.